I invite you to reach for your Bibles as uh, we continue in our series in Philippians. Joy in the journey. And uh, this morning we're going to be reading for our scripture reading here. Uh, Our text is in Philippians chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 3 through 8. And uh, the verses that we're actually looking at this morning really begins a section where Paul is praying for the Philippian believers. And his prayer is one long prayer beginning at verse 8. And it doesn't end until verse 11. And, uh, but we're going to break the prayer up into two parts. This morning we'll look at the first uh, section of the prayer, and then next Sunday we'll look at the last section of the prayer. So follow along as I read here in Philippians chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And oh, how we are thankful, at least we should be, that we can gather here in person and meet with one another and meet with you primarily and to hear from you through your word. And so I thank you for those who got up this morning, made a priority to be here and to worship you. Lord, I need your help as I proclaim your word, as I, uh, we go through this passage here. And so help us to see the truths of it. Help us to uh, re- apply it to our lives. And so open our hearts, open our minds to what you have for us here this morning. In your name I pray, amen. I want to begin with a question, and that's simply this. What comes to your mind when you hear the word fellowship? How do you understand that particular concept? What do you think about when you hear that word fellowship? When we think about fellowship, most people tend to think about coffee, cookies, and conversation with friends, which isn't a bad thing after all, because It's true that drinking coffee with friends has its place in life. I'm thankful for Starbucks, even though they're closed right now, except for drive-thru. So I don't visit Starbucks anymore because I can't go down. I can't sit in Starbucks and drink my coffee, so nevertheless. Uh, But true fellowship goes way, 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 way beyond mere friendship. Fellowship, true biblical fellowship, as we're going to see, actually occurs among people who are committed to a common cause or a common goal, and then it flourishes through their common pursuit of that common cause or goal. J.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring rides upon this very reality. 
The fellowship of the ring is made up of individuals who come from different races and different backgrounds. You have the hobbits, these tiny beings with large, hairy, shoeless feet. You have men, warriors who are always ready for battle. You have these elves with pointed ears who comes from a race of archers. You have a dwarf, a stout, hairy, axe-wielding creature who comes from dark chambers under the mountains. And you have a wizard who is the ancient nemesis of evil. These nine very different individuals are bound together by a common mission, and that is to defeat the forces of darkness and save Middle-earth. Well, Paul is writing about not the fellowship of the ring, but he's writing about the fellowship of the gospel. And it's a fellowship that is rooted in Jesus Christ, and it's a fellowship, get this, that brings joy to his journey. In fact, this is what I want you to see this morning. This is what I hope you take home with you and apply to your own life. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. This is the power of gospel-driven partnership. Paul is showing us here in this prayer that joy in the journey is closely connected. It's linked to partnership in the gospel. Notice again what Paul writes here in verses 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is thrilled with the Philippians. He's praying to God, and in his prayer, it's full of joy and excitement. He's thrilled for them, he's gushing over them, and he does so with joy. But why? Why is Paul so excited for them? Well, according to verse 5, it's because of their, what? Partnership in the gospel. And so Paul's joy in the journey... Understand, it is closely connected. It is linked together to the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. Now, in Paul's day, this word partnership originally had commercial overtones to it. For example, if two men bought a boat and started a fishing business, they were said to be in a formal business partnership. Why? Because they shared a common vision. They invested resources together to see that vision become a reality. And so true partnership in the gospel means sharing the same vision of getting the gospel to the world and then investing personally and even sacrificially to make that vision a reality. Now, Paul here is using a word that's very common to business, as I already mentioned. That is this word partnership. To describe the relationship among people who actually come together to advance the gospel. And as we already mentioned, as we're going to see, this brings joy to Paul's heart. Now, don't miss what created, though, this joyous partnership between Paul and the Philippians. It's the gospel. Say, why? For only the gospel has the power to do what? To change our lives. It's the gospel that changed Paul's life. Remember who he was before Paul. He was Saul, a persecutor of the church, of Christians. 
It's the gospel that changed Lydia's life. It's the gospel that saved the slave girl's life. It's the gospel that saved the Roman jailer's life. All these people make up the Philippian church. They all believe the good news that Jesus is king. And now they have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And having been transformed by the gospel... Now they are motivated. They want to see the gospel advance. They want to see others transformed as well. And so this common mission to advance the gospel is what brings them together and it brings them joy in their journey. Now, for the rest of the time this morning, what I simply want to do is unpack this gospel-driven partnership concept with three principles that come right out of Paul's prayer to God in regards to these Philippian believers. So notice the first principle, and that is simply be thankful for God's work collectively. Be thankful. Paul writes again in verses 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And so by nature... I don't know about you, but I know this is true for me. We, we, I, I'll say this, I am consumed with self. I'm sure you are as well. But the power of the gospel is that Jesus, as we just sang about, frees us from the tyranny of self-centeredness, and it stretches our hearts to embrace other people in our lives. How does Paul make this point? He tells us that his prayers to God overflow with joyful gratitude when... He remembers when he reflects back on the church at Philippi and specifically their partnership in the gospel with him. So this scope, notice this here, the scope of Paul's joyful gratitude is not just some of these saints at Philippi, but all of them. It's you all. The scope is you all. Paul gives thanks over every memory in every prayer for every member in the church of Philippi. And as we already saw last week, this comes on the heels of Paul's greeting to all of the saints who are at Philippi. Moreover, Paul will repeat these words as he describes his confidence about God's work in you all. Since you all, he says, share in God's grace. And so with the the breath of these words of you all, Paul is throwing his, his arms out wide to include every believer and even to pull together saints who may have drifted away through some misunderstanding or perhaps even some mismatched priority. Why? Because every believer in Jesus Christ has been transformed by God's work in the gospel. This is why we should give thanks for all the saints in our church family. Not just some of the saints. Not just that particular saint. But all the saints in the LifeBridge family. In fact, Paul's heart is so focused on all of these believers that he effectively forgets his own difficulties, his own predicament, his own circumstances. Remember, Paul is where? He is in prison writing this letter. He is chained to a Roman soldier. He is awaiting the verdict from Nero regarding whether he will live or die. And yet his thoughts when he prays is not so much on himself, but rather on these Philippian believers. 
And so if anyone had a right to kind of vent their frustration, vent their dissatisfaction over his circumstances, it would have been Paul. And yet, instead of self-pity, and yet of playing the victim here, we hear his thanks to God for all the believers in Philippi. He's not so much thinking about his own circumstances or even about the outcome of his own life as he was thinking about their partnership in the gospel, and it brings him joy in the midst of being in prison. Amazing. And even when Paul does mention his imprisonment, his tone is still one of joy. You say, how can this be? How is that even possible? Well, notice the source of Paul's joyful gratitude. The scope is all, you all, but the source of it, he says, is my God. My God. The secret of Paul's joyful gratitude is found in his source when he writes, I thank God. My God. He doesn't just write, I thank God, as if that God is impersonal to him, distant to him. No, he writes, I thank my God. This is evidence of a, of a personal relationship with God the Father that characterized his time in prison. And that makes perfect sense. Paul's joyful gratitude survived even the most difficult of circumstances because his joy did not depend on his circumstances, but on his relationship with our God. Listen, and it's not that Paul is putting his head in the sand or under a rug. Paul is not in denial of his imprisonment, nor is Paul blind to the problems and needs of this Philippian church either. In fact, this very letter he's writing to them, he will actually address some of their issues and problems. And so he's not blind to reality. But Paul's vision of the Philippians, Paul's vision even of his own circumstances in prison, is colored by his all-satisfying vision of his God. And so may I just throw out, could it be the reason we lack joy in our journey is because our vision is colored by the difficulty of our circumstances rather than the sufficiency of our God? So here's a question. Are you thankful for God's work, not just in your life, but in the lives of others? In the lives of the people in your grow group? In the lives of the people that you just look across the pew to? In the lives of the people here in this church? When you pray, is your prayer filled with joyful thankfulness that is focused on others and even the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the first principle of gospel-driven partnerships. The second principle we see here is to be confident. First of all, be thankful, but now be confident, and specifically in God's work personally. We see this principle in verse 6. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul says, I am sure of this, he's using a word that means being confident, persuaded, 
convinced and even certain. So Paul is not only thankful for God's work collectively, but he is also confident in God's work personally. But here's the question, where does this confidence come from? Is it the Philippians themselves? Their work, their effort, their faith, because they are such wonderful partners in the gospel? No. Listen, their salvation and even their participation in the gospel is not at the core, is not most deeply the work of the Philippians, but rather the work of God in the Philippians. That's where Paul's confidence comes from. In fact, notice, just right in this one verse alone, verse 6, three observations about this, what Paul terms as this good work. This good work is whose work? It's God's work. It's not your work. It's not my work. It's God's work. Paul says it was God who began a good work in the Philippians, not the Philippians and not even Paul. And yes, we know Paul shared the gospel with Lydia down by the river, but it was the Lord who did what? Opened her heart to receive the gospel that Paul shared. And then Paul was put in prison. But at midnight, he and Silas start singing and praising God. And what happened then at midnight? An earthquake happened, and it shook the prison, and their chains fell off. But instead of running for their freedom, they stayed in the prison. And that's when the Roman guard asked, what must I do to be saved? Did Paul do all that? No, that wasn't Paul's work. Listen, that was God's work. That was God working in and through Paul to accomplish a saving work in the jailer. And so what we see here is that your salvation, my salvation, salvation is a sovereign act of God. In fact, according to Acts chapter 11, verse 18, God is the one who, quote, grants repentance that leads to life. God is the one who does that. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, that even when we were dead, that is no life at all, spiritually speaking, dead in our trespasses and sins, God is the one, Paul says, who made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so God is the one who begins this good work in us. Salvation always begins with God. God makes the first move. And if he didn't make the first move, listen, we would make no move at all to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this good work is God's work. Second of all, this good work is a gradual work. Or you could even write a growing work. Notice it says, he who began a good work, where? He says, in you. And so God's work is always an inside job before it's ever an outside job. That is, he works in you before he ever works through you. But what do we tend to focus on in life? Oh, we focus on all the externals. Most of our concerns in life are outward. Our focus is outward. How do I look? Do I like my hair? Do you like my shoes? Here, let me take another selfie so I can post it on social media. We live in a narcissistic meism world. That's our culture. It's all external. But God is concerned first and foremost about the inward. What's going on inside of you? The heart. 
God wants to make you holy. And that is a lifelong process of God working in you. He wants you as his children to be conformed to the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. And listen to me, he will not rest until that good work is finished. And so if you find yourself here this morning in the agony of personal defeat, even though you have been freed from the penalty of sin, the power of sin has overtaken you. And if that's you here this morning, listen, be encouraged. God is not finished with you yet. God always finishes what he starts, which brings us to this third observation here about this good work of God. It is a guaranteed work. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? says he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. One translation says God will bring it to a flourishing finish. I like that. In other words, whatever God starts, God finishes. Now, how many of you here have unfinished projects at home? Come on, be honest. Anybody? Yeah. Aren't you thankful that God is not like you? We start a project and we get tired of it or we get sidetracked from it. And so we leave it half done for six months, in which time we might start three other projects that we still don't finish. That's us. But God is not like that. God never lacks the wisdom. God never lacks the power to finish what he starts. Listen, God is not only the author of your salvation, God is also the finisher of your salvation. What he begins, he completes. And he's going to keep working in you until when, Paul says? Till the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what's that? Do you realize what that means? God won't stop working in you till Jesus shows up, until Jesus returns. Now, that's commitment on God's part in your life. You realize God never says of any of you here, I quit, he's too hard. He never goes, I'm done with her, she just won't listen. Why? Because Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So until that day comes, which we are looking forward to, it's God's work, it's a gradual work, and it's a guaranteed work. So be thankful, first of all, for God's work collectively. That's the first principle of gospel-driven partnership. The second principle is be confident in God's work personally. And here's the third principle. Be partakers. Be partakers of God's work missionally. Now notice in your Bibles, look what it says here in verse 7. Look what Paul writes. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. Now, that is a rather very tender statement by Paul in regards to these believers at Philippi. He loves them. He loves them dearly. They hold a very special place in his heart, a very unique place in his heart. And then Paul also declares in verse 8, he says this about him. He says, for God is my witness. In other words, God says, 
I am not lying about this. I am telling the truth. God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, why? Why does Paul feel this way toward this church at Philippi? Well, he actually tells us why here in verse 7. Look at it. He says, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, the key word is this word, partakers. And it's related to this word, it's related to the word partnership that we've already seen in verse 5. And Paul says the reason that he feels so affectionate for uh, these Philippian believers is because they are partakers of me of grace, or, or partakers with me of grace. In other words, they are partakers of God's work of grace in the gospel. Now, let me try to be a little practical here, or actually a whole lot practical, in applying this for us. So, in other words, how... Can we be missional partakers of God's work, of God's grace, like Paul was and like these Philippian believers were? Well, first of all, notice this. Sit in awe of the gospel. That's the first way. Just sit in awe of the gospel. Remember, where is Paul? He is in prison. And so when you're in prison, you have a lot of time to meditate. To sit and ponder and reflect and think. And what do you think Paul meditates on while he's in prison? Chained to a Roman guard. Well, I'm sure there are numerous things, but no doubt he meditates on God's grace in the gospel. While in prison, Paul sits in awe of the gospel and sits in awe of God's amazing grace at work in his life, but also in the lives of these Philippian believers. And so Paul's heart, when he reflects on them, and even his own life, is filled with joy and thankfulness as he reflects on his own salvation. But he's also overcome with this joyful gratitude as he reflects on the Philippians' salvation and their partnership in the gospel. Now, applicational question here. How often do you sit in awe of the gospel? Now, just one benefit of this pandemic that we've suffered through has been we've had a lot of downtime, especially during the lockdown. Where we were bound to our houses, working from home, and I hope did you take advantage of that, of just reflecting and meditating on not just the bad stuff going on in our world, but the good stuff like the gospel, God's grace at work in your heart, in your life, but also in other people's lives. And even now, see, how often do you just sit and meditate and ponder on God's grace at work in the gospel in your life as well as others in our church? Do you spend any time at all reflecting on that and giving thanks for that? 
Listen, if we're not intentional about this, we can easily forget how amazing God's grace really is in our life. Especially if all we focus on is this pandemic and the news and what's going on in our world around us. Do you want joy in your journey? Then spend time sitting in awe of the gospel and reflecting on God's grace at work in your life and in the lives of other believers. Listen, this is one of the benefits of having a regular quiet time. And my heart breaks because I'm afraid there are way too many of us where that's not happening. Therefore, we are not reflecting on the grace of God in our lives. We are not being thankful for the gospel and God's work in our lives. Because we are not sitting in awe of it. We're not taking time. And listen, it doesn't mean three hours out of your day. It can be three minutes in your day. To sit and reflect and simply offer, God, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your radical grace working in my life and the lives of those at LifeBridge. And then number two, to be a missional partaker of the gospel, stand in defense of it. Stand in defense of the gospel. Notice again what Paul writes in verse 7. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of in confirmation of the gospel. Defense is when you stand up for something. In fact, this word defense is where we get the word apologetics from. It's a defense of the faith. And so whenever you hear somebody ridicule the gospel, or you hear somebody mock the Jesus that you love, you stand up and you do what? You stand and defend it. This is needed now more than ever in our culture. A defense of this gospel that is so precious to us. You stand in defense of the gospel. You even try to answer sincere people's questions. You try to explain your faith. You stand up for the truth. In other words, you do what the Apostle Peter tells us to do in 1 Peter 3.15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. And that hope is gospel-based. That is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, if you didn't love God and if you didn't care about people, you wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't care what people say about Jesus. You wouldn't care what people say about the Christian faith. But the fact that you do stand up in defense of the gospel shows that you do care and that you do love God and that he is actually at work in your And then spread the hope of the gospel. Don't just stop at defending it. Spread the good news of it. That's what Paul means when he says, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and, notices, and in the confirmation of the gospel. That word confirmation is a legal term used in giving testimony. It means to tell, to speak, to confirm a fact. And so here's how it works. Every time the gospel is proclaimed and somebody receives it, it's confirmed. It's validated. Every time you see somebody respond to the gospel, it actually confirms the gospel. The gospel still changes lives today. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of that gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes. In the practical proof that you are even here this morning, that you are a part of this church, is that you what? You believe the gospel. In fact, you believe in it so much that you are partners in the gospel. You sit in awe of the gospel. You stand in defense of the gospel. And you spread the hope of the gospel. And if you don't do those things, if you don't sit in awe of the gospel, and you don't stand in defense of it, and you don't spread the hope of it, then it is probably a good thing for us to stop and ask ourselves, do I really believe it? Has it radically changed my life? Now, again, remember, go back to the beginning here. Join the journey is closely connected to what? Gospel partnership. So how, how then can we here this morning, how can we move from mere friendship with one another to actual gospel partnership? Let me offer you four applicational points. First of all, believe the gospel by trusting Jesus Christ for your salvation. Believe. You've got to believe the gospel before you can ever partner in the gospel. So the most important question you can ask yourself is this. Has God begun his good work in me? Have you been born again by the power of the gospel? That's where it starts. Joy in your journey begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Respond to the gospel. Respond to what Jesus has already done for you because you don't have to do anything more. It is faith in Jesus. The person in his work, his atoning, saving grace, his death on the cross. He died in place of you to save you from the penalty of sin so that you could ultimately be freed from the power and presence of sin one day for all eternity. Does that describe your life? And then number two, re-engage in the community and ministry of LifeBridge. Listen, gospel partnerships, hear me now, are formed in the community of the church and flourish by serving together in the ministries of the church. Now, there's no doubt this virus has caused a huge disruption in our personal lives as well as our church life. In fact, we had to hit, if I can say this, we had to hit the pause button due to lockdowns and stay-at-home orders and even ongoing mandates and restrictions. But if I can say this from a pastor's heart, and I hope you do hear my heart here, and I hope I I come across in an appropriate tone. But for the sake of our spiritual well-being, and for the sake of the gospel, we need to re-engage in the community of our church in the ministry of the gospel. Listen, from all indications, it appears that COVID is not going away anytime soon. This virus is a part of life. And it begs the question, not for the general public, but for us specifically as Christ followers, will we embrace, yes, there is a risk. Will we embrace that risk of COVID to re-engage 
in the gospel partnership or will we disengage from community and ministry until it is, quote, safe enough? Because that is the term that is being thrown out all over the place. Until it's safe enough, until it's safe enough, until it's safe enough. My question to us as Christ followers is simply this, what is safe enough? If we wait till it is, quote, safe enough, we may never re-engage again. By the way, do you realize safety has never been the highest priority when it comes to the Great Commission and gospel partnerships? If safety was the highest priority, Jesus would have never left heaven to come to earth to die for you. If safety was the highest priority, Jesus would have never sent the 12 disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 10. If safety was the highest priority, the disciples would have never witnessed about Jesus after his ascension to heaven, and the early church would have never been started. If safety was the highest priority, Peter and John would have never preached the gospel in the book of Acts in the face of persecution. If safety was the highest priority, Stephen would have never stood in defense of the gospel in front of the religious leaders and proclaim the gospel even as they stoned him to death. If safety was the highest priority, Paul would have never went on three missionary journeys where he suffered severe persecution. If safety was the highest priority, William Carey would have never went to India. David Livingston would have never went to Africa. Hudson Taylor would have never went to China. If safety was the highest priority, missionaries that we partner with, like Rachel and Randall Fernandez, would never pastor a church in Pakistan. Roger and Lynn Schmidt would never proclaim the gospel in Mozambique. The Frizzells would never stay in Bolivia. If safety was the highest priority, there would be no believers today meeting in churches around the world in places like Africa, China, and countries dominated by Islam. Todd and Kim are here this morning. My niece, their daughter, is part of the fusion program at Spurgeon College. This summer, she will take a three-months-long three mission trip overseas. And if safety was the highest priority, they would never let her enter that Pat and Terry done the same way with Anna done. Listen, I throw this out simply as a question. Should we then expect that we somehow should be exempt from any and all danger to our lives? Now listen, please hear me. I am not advocating that we just throw caution to the wind in the face of this virus. God has given us sanctified common sense, which is a rare commodity these days. And if you are elderly, especially with underlying health conditions, we certainly understand the need for you to do whatever is necessary to protect yourself. But for the rest of us Christ followers, here's my heart's desire as pastor of this church, that we will be guided first and foremost, not by safety first, but by a trust in a sovereign God and a divine calling to engage in community and ministry for the sake of the gospel.
Which brings us to number three. Share the gospel message with people in your circle of influence. And if that means stand in defense of the gospel, then do so boldly. And then be willing to spread the hope of the gospel with people you interact with. And then number four, support the spread of the gospel through our global partners. And you all have been so faithful to do this by giving regularly in support of our global missionaries. And doing so through faith promise giving. And praying regularly for our missionary partners. Some of you may be already wondering, what about World Outreach Celebration? I know we always have that in October. Is that still in play for our church? And the answer is yes. The mission doesn't stop. A pandemic doesn't stop the mission. It accelerates it, in fact. And so, yes, we are still having a world outreach celebration. Now, it'll look a little different. It'll certainly feel a little different. It will not be like years past. But we're still having it. I hope that you will make that a priority to be a part of in October. We'll have more time to promo that in the coming weeks. But at this time, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us into the fellowship of your Son and saving us from our sins. Help us to be more thankful for your work in the lives, in our lives, and that we can be confident that you will complete that good work at the day of Christ. Until that day, may we give ourselves to being gospel partners in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.